Well, if you're newer here or just visiting today, this past August, at the start of the fall, we began uh, our study through the book of Acts, which may be my favorite book of the Bible. If it's not my very favorite, it's certainly in the top, top three or four. It's, it's the amazing, really riveting story of what God did in the early church. And uh, the basic theme of, is this, that the, the church of Jesus Christ, after he died and rose, rose and ascended to the heavens, is that there were 120 Jewish believers that made up the church based in Jerusalem. And under the power of the Holy Spirit, by a people devoted to prayer, that church grew and spread and expanded until it had covered the Roman Empire, turned it upside down. It was now a multinational, multi-ethnic, largely Gentile, that is non-Jewish, church that had reached the capital of the empire and was still spreading. And it is still spreading today more than ever around the world. Uh, we had a couple over at our house last night that uh, had spent 18 years in Afghanistan and just talking about people in Afghanistan who are coming to Christ and having dreams. And, and you know, if you just read the secular media, you have no idea what's been going on in Afghanistan the last 20 years. Thinking, man, that's what a wasteland there. But the fastest growing church in the world in terms of percentages is no longer Iran. It is Afghanistan. And the church is still expanding around the world. And we get to be part of that. It's the greatest harvest ever. Now, now the early church, uh, three themes in this book. First of all, the spread of the gospel. Secondly, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, by a people devoted to prayer. And that's what God wants his church to be about. Spread of the gospel, power of the spirit, people devoted to prayer. We left off a few weeks ago before the Christmas break. By, uh, in Acts 4, there was a persecution. There's a threat on their lives. They better stop preaching Jesus because God was doing such incredible things. And the church gathered together and they prayed. That's what they always did. They were devoted to prayer. The end of the passage, let me just read the last verse we read. Acts 4.31 said, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. By the way, that's all three themes in one verse. Exciting early church. And then we come to our passage in Acts 4.32 through 37, which gets sort of a, a snapshot of life in the early church. Would you stand with me as I read that passage? Acts 4.32 through 30, 37. Now, if you are newer here, you may not be aware, but we basically go through books of the Bible, which is uh, there's advantages and disadvantages. The advantage is that I don't just preach on my hobby horses or things that I want to. The, the um, disadvantage might be I come to hard passages, and this might be one. So hang on. Buckle up. All right, Duncan DeLeon, are excited about that. Okay, Acts 4.32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
This is God's holy word, church. Please be seated. So the very first thing that is pointed out in verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. So they were united. They were one heart and soul. That means they were on the same page. doesn't mean they were all alike. This is not uniformity, but it is unity. And this was their unity. Not uh, that they thought alike, talked alike, walked alike, or anything like that. But simply, they were bonded by the Lord Jesus Christ. And they believed that Jesus Christ was so much more important than anything else that they had unity there. Now, we don't want a uniformity here at Wood's Edge. If you've been around, you, you know that we want diversity. We want as much diversity as we can have. We probably have 50 nations represented here at Wood's Edge. We love that. We want diversity racially, socioeconomically, ethnically, every other way. We want diversity because when you've got wide diversity and yet you've got great unity simply by Jesus Christ, that glorifies God. That shows the power of the gospel. And that's what we're going to have in heaven one day. It's going to be gloriously diverse. And we want it here on earth as much as we can. So we want diversity, but unity within that. They were of one heart and soul. Now, it says the full number of those who believed. That's how he's referring or describing the Christians, the believers. They, they were those who had believed. That's how we get into the kingdom. We believe in Christ. Not churchgoers, it's not churchianity, it's not people who kind of measure up, earn their way. It's simply those who believe, trust in Jesus that He saved them. Now, that, that's the description. And, and if you're here today and, and you, you have not been completely clear on it, be clear now. The only way we get to the kingdom is not by being good enough or measuring up. Nobody could do that. Because you would have to bat 1,000 for your whole life. That is a perfect life. And you ain't batting 1,000. And neither am I. But Jesus Christ, he hit 1,000, and, and, and he will be your DH. He will be your designated hitter. He will take your place. Because when he died on the cross, God took your sins and mine. He put them on Jesus, and he paid for them. And so I'm trusting, Jeff Wells, me, I'm trusting that when I get to heaven, uh, that, that my only hope to get in is not that I was a pastor, that I lived a good life, or I tried hard. None of that. That wouldn't do. But Jesus Christ saved me from my sins. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, do it now. Do it now. Just breathe a prayer and say, Jesus, save me. Do it now. Now, by the way, um, the, the consistent biblical term is faith in Jesus, believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus. Now, we, we tend to use other terms a fair bit, uh, such as, invite Jesus into my heart, or surrender to God, or commit my life to God. And, and um, those terms, by the way, are not used in, in that sense in the Bible. Um, they're, they're okay to use those if, if what you mean is trusting in Jesus, receiving a gift. So uh, you can use those terms, but, but let's be clear how we get into heaven. We're, we are trusting Jesus to save us, not ourselves. The clearest statement of the gospel may be, or how you get into heaven, might be in later in the book of Acts, in Acts 16.31, Philippian jailer, seeing the incredible things that are going on, asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? Paul's simple answer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Yeah. You believe, you trust, you receive, uh, you're trusting Jesus. Okay, all that was a little bit of a digression. Back to the text, the full number of those who believed. How many are we talking about, the full number? Well, um, 
full number. We know there were 120 in Acts 1. In Acts 2, 3,000 were added, so 3120. Then there was daily people coming to faith. Then in Acts 3, another 5,000 adult males, the term is very specific, comes to faith. And so we're talking about at least 10,000 minimum, maybe 15 to 20,000. So this was a large church. But they also did not only meet in a large group celebration on the temple grounds, but they met from house to house. They had small groups. Any church, over 50 people need small groups. And certainly, we've got them. That's the way they did. Jesus had a small group. Paul had small groups. Uh, we, we need to live in small group community as well as big church. And so I hope you find some smaller group community. Uh, our bread and butter here are our journey groups. We've got them all over the neighborhoods. We also have men's groups and women's groups and other kind of groups. We're about to start, by the way, some regen groups that are going to be uh, very powerful for helping bring healing to woundedness and brokenness, which we all got woundedness and brokenness. Uh, these are regen groups, so some groups that God is using powerfully. We're starting them in a couple of weeks, but, but find a group, find a small group. Now, the believers, one heart and soul, they had unity. No doubt they were very different, but they had unity. Now, they had a, a besides, uh, you know, their basis in Jesus, the heart of their unity, they had a common mission and a common vision. They were going to reach uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the world. They are going to reach their, the Roman Empire. Now, if you want unity in any business, organization, church, group, anything, if you want unity, you need a common mission and vision. Uh, the, the Houston Texans are playing football uh, this afternoon, are they not? Let's go, Texans. And um, so they, they got a clear mission. Beat the Chiefs and go to the next round. I mean, sports teams can have great unity because the mission is clear. You've got to win and, you know, get to the Super Bowl. And we need to be crystal clear on a, a clear mission and vision. Our, our mission, that is why we exist, love Jesus, journey together, bring hope to the world. Vision, what we want to see in the future, I mean, we do the mission right now. What we want to see in the future is we want to see a complete transformation in the city of Houston, become a great city of God. So we're clear on that, and that will unite us. If you've got a clear mission and vision, then the, the, the smaller things that are differences, they don't matter. We've got a mission. And so be clear. The basis is Jesus Christ, but we've got a vision and a mission from God. So... Uh, it's interesting to me how emphasis, how much emphasis the Bible puts on unity. And for example, Jesus, when the night he was betrayed and arrested, uh, he has his great prayer recorded in John 17. Now, he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for future believers, you and me. And uh, there's only one thing he prays for in that passage, and he prays for it repeatedly, time after time, that, that we would be one, united, unity. One heart and soul. That's so much on the heart of God because uh, then you can have impact on, on your world for, for Christ. Uh, I love the old joke. Uh, maybe you've heard it. Uh, the man stranded on a South Sea island, and he was there for two or three years. Finally, there's a ship that came to rescue him, but there, they noticed there were three huts there on the beach, and they said, why, why are there three huts there? You're the only one here. He said, well, that was my home, and that was my church, and that was the church I used to go to. And... Uh, you know, even one person couldn't get along. Um, or, a true story, uh, Max Lucado speaking to 42,000 pastors at a stadium in Atlanta. And, and he says, on the count of three, tell me what church you came from. 
and he one, two, three, and everybody shouted out this jumble. You couldn't make any sense out of it. Everybody's shouting their different churches, denominations. And then he says, okay, now on the count of three, shout out, who saved you? And the throng, you know, shouted out this roar, Jesus. And that's what unites us. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we focus on him and what unites. He's so much bigger than anything that might be differences. So it has been said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And that word charity is an old English word that simply meant love. Uh, That's the basis of all unity, that we love one another. And the expression of that love in this passage is going to be the the great generosity to, to meet needs of the poor folks within them. So generosity is going to be an expression of this charity or of this love. Now, verse 32 Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, that's amazing. And in fact, you might read that and think, man, is that really true? Uh, Maybe they're just such a different culture. That just doesn't apply apply to us. Well, let's understand what it means and what it doesn't mean. It's clear from similar language in Acts 2, as well as what subsequently happens, this does not mean that they had one big bank account and lived in one big commune. That's not what it means. But this is what it means. Nobody considered that that was mine, that this was our own. These all belonged to God. They, had, they did not have an ownership mentality, but a stewardship mentality. You know, it's sort of like, you know, you've got a three-year-old uh, toddler, and, and pretty soon she is going to be uh, talking about, that's mine. You know, that, that's mine. That becomes a favorite word. It's mine. And, and you know, that's kind of cute with a three-year-old, but not so cute with adult believers like this. You know, it, it's not mine. Last I checked, you were born naked and you're going to leave naked. You're not taking anything with you. It doesn't belong to you a bit. It is on loan from God. You're like a UPS driver. You're a UPS driver. He doesn't own a thing back there, all that stuff. He's he's just distributing it, distributing it. God God has given us a, a, a lot of things. You're not the owner. Just distribute it as he wants you. He blesses us so we can bless others. And so they were doing that in the early church, and, and, and the, the richer would make sell, sell a field from time to time or a property and, and give to others. And it was just a beautiful thing. It must have been intoxicating to have that kind of generosity. Um, you know, when it comes to our, our, our money and possessions, it's not that, you know, the first 10% belongs to God and the 90 for me. It all belongs to God. And, and, and we've got the privilege of giving back to God. And let, let me just, because I'm your pastor, because I love you, I just want to say to you, if you do not experience the joy of generosity, something's wrong with your faith. There's something wrong here, something unhealthy. It could be that maybe you've never trusted Christ and you just got religious duty and just some churchianity. You don't want that. But, but there are plenty of believers who just haven't experienced the joy of trusting God with their finances and, and they've missed out on so much. That the joy, the peace, the, just the privilege of giving back to God because He's the most generous person in the universe and, and, and you're never more like God than when you are generous. You are never experiencing more joy than the joy of giving. When the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive, it means it. I mean, that's either true or not true. And it is true. If I had everybody here who gives at least 10%, at least 10%, off the top, because God's first, he gets it off the top. If I had everybody here, I'm not going to do it, so don't get nervous. 
Uh, if I had everybody here who gives at least 10%, just stand up. I guarantee you I could go around to every single one, and everyone would not dare or dream living any other way. It has been so rich with, the, with the, the, the favor of God, the blessing of God, the peace of God, that none of us who have lived this way would ever go back. Uh, Gail and I, and, and one of the reasons that I so appreciate about Gail is that you should know that Gail is just as committed to Christ as I am. She doesn't preach, but she's just as committed to Christ as I am. And, and when we got married 40 years ago, we were planning churches. We didn't have much money at all. But this was the way we were going to live our lives. The first 10% at least goes to God. And we've done that every month for this summer, June, will be 40 years. And Gail believes in that just as much as I do. And I don't want you to miss out on the joy and the thrill of generosity, giving back to the God who's given his own son for you. It is a privilege. And he will bless you. And he will take care of you. And his favor will be upon you. When Jesus Christ invades a life, he, he saves not just your soul, but your pocketbook. He does. And the whole reason, the basic reason, is ultimately because gratitude for a Savior, for the cross of Jesus. Randy Alcorn put it this way, as thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. When God's grace touches you, you can't help but respond to generous giving. If you fall in love with Jesus, you will become generous. If you are generous long enough... You will become like Jesus. The Bible teaches that this is a critical part of your discipleship, of your spiritual growth, that you are uh, hamstringing your spiritual life and your intimacy with the Lord if you don't know the joy of giving. Because it's one thing to talk or to sing, but when you actually give money, uh, that's putting your you know, rubber on the road there. That's uh, putting some shoe leather on it. That's okay. He means business. She means business. All righty, verse 43. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So great power, the power of God, the power of the Spirit that we see all through the book of Acts. Uh, what was their message? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, the, the apostles, the eyewitness, uh, eyewitnesses of the resurrection, they'd seen Jesus, and they were the authoritative leaders of the early church. Now, by the way, the eyewitnesses um, died out after the first or second generation, and then the, the churches were led by elders, elders. So this is the plurality of godly leaders called by God. Um, if you move to Phoenix next week, I would encourage you to find a church that has biblical governance, that is, not one man calling all the shots, and not popular elections, the most popular people or the richest people, but a plurality of biblically qualified elders. That's how Woods Edge runs, operates. I am in submission to the elders. The staff is in submission to the elders. But we have a plurality of elders. And that's what we see in the New Testament. By the way, uh, are there any, uh, if there are any elders in this room, stand and remain standing. Because I, I just want to point out a couple of things here. So any elders here? Okay, so there's one right back there. It's Alan Tarbutton. There's Brad Moore, Zach Toops, Charlie Howe, Sergio Garcia. Anybody? That's Mike Novelli over there. So just keep standing. So... Uh, these are six or seven, and uh, the first service we had about six, and next service hopefully we'll have five or six more, but, but there are about 20 of us, and together we have the responsibility and accountability 
to give leadership and oversight to the church. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. So that's biblical church governance. <clears throat> and then the last line of 33, isn't it beautiful when it just says, and great grace was upon them all. They were generous. They were united. They were giving testimony to the resurrection, which was the message of the church. And great grace was upon them all. I mean, who here doesn't want that? Don't you want the grace of God, the hand of God, the favor of God upon you? That's what we want. The grace of God as we obey Him and trust Him and live lives all in for Him. Now, the last verses in our passage come back to underscore their generosity and how they gave. 34, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. Now, that must have been something. <laughs> and, um, and, and here it was, as you should know, we've got a financial care ministry. So with people in our church who are out of work, have got big financial needs for various things, uh, we, we help them. We, we, we try to ascertain wisely the, the use of funds. But if there's genuine need, we help them out. We've got guidelines about that. And uh, that's our financial care ministry. You should know, if you, as you do your giving here, that part of your money goes to support people in need here at Woods Edge. Uh, if you are here and you've got financial need, this is your church, then please let us help you. We want to. You can go to the website, financial care ministry, or information desk, and say, you know, who do I talk to? We want to help. Now, notice that the early church, when they did that, okay, so uh, Benjamin and... Uh, Reuben, they were in the church. They, they noticed this family over here that didn't have much money, and, and he had plenty of money, but he didn't just get the money and give it to Reuben. He knew that the, they were leaders of the church, and they had the big picture of what's going on and the responsibility before God for the flock. And so they brought their giving to the leaders of the church, and then it was distributed. And that's what we see throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, giving where you worship. doesn't mean that you don't give extra other places, but your basic giving is where you worship. And that kind of makes a death blow on American individualism and reflects biblical unity. We give together, we love together, we serve together, we worship together. Uh, it kind of deals a death blow to, to control. Uh, you're not control, you surrender. And you see this all through the Bible. Gail and I have always brought at least the tithe to the, to the local church where we worship, and then we do extra giving outside that. And we don't do that because I'm the pastor, but because this is the biblical way. This is what you see in the Bible. And this is what they did in the book of Acts, and, and it's pretty clearly underscored there. Um, they were responding to God as part of their worship at the place where they worshiped. And then finally, the passage closes with one specific example of what we just read. Verse 36 says, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So he's an example. Uh, he had some extra. He sold it, gave it, not distributing himself, but bringing it to the leaders of the church, and they passed it on. And by the way, he's introducing Barnabas, who become a key figure in the book. Barnabas, encourager, Mr. Encouragement. You can imagine how positive, how loving, how warm, big hugs, big smiles. Barnabas, don't you love being around encouragers? Uh, let's be encouragers. He, he, he was modeling that so well. So, Wood's Edge. We see in the early church the incredible unity. And that was expressed, that unity born of love that was expressed in their incredible generosity 
And that always happens when the Holy Spirit gets hold of a life for a church, that there is just incredible generosity. And God's kingdom is advanced. People's needs are met. And um, you should know a couple of things. You should know that overall, Wood's Edge is a very generous church. We just know stats and national stats about percentages of giving for churches for various sizes. And Wood's Edge is way above the norm. So way to go, church. You, you are. You're, you're a generous church. And, and I thank you. In the month of December, y'all gave almost $1.9 million, which is a lot of money. So, yeah, God, way to go. Um, but um, here's the, the problem is that in a church this size, uh, many of you are very generous. But some of you have never experienced the thrill of this, and you're missing out. And, and, and on my watch as your pastor, uh, that can't be. It's not that... Um, I need more money. Your giving's not really going to affect my uh, salary. We're a big church, and I'm fine. Um, and it's not really that Woods Edge needs more money. I mean, there's plenty of ministries around the world, so there's going to be plenty. But you need it. It's not me. It's not the church. It's not God. It's you. You will not grow and love relationship with Jesus unless you know the joy of generosity. Not the duty, but the joy. Um, I, I, as a pastor, there are a lot of pastors who say, I don't have to give. I'm a pastor. Nonsense. All of, I'm a believer. I'm a disciple. We are all disciples. We give no questions answered. And as I said before, anybody in this room who, get, who knows the joy of giving, you wouldn't dream of not doing it. I mean, Gail and I are so glad that we have given. And God has just blessed us with it spiritually and financially in so many ways. And, and that's true of every single person. And you can't live your one life of 70, 80, 90 years and miss out on this. Miss out on the spiritual growth, the, the, the soul satisfaction, the joy, the, the, the peace, the, the blessing, the rewards in heaven, all of the things that God's going to pour out. Don't miss out on this. You know, if I retire tomorrow, which I'm not, so if you were hoping, but if I did retire tomorrow and I was speaking today, I'd say the same things. This is not about what I want from you. This is what I want for you. You need to experience the joy of biblical giving. Trusting God with your money. Some of you have given way to a spirit of fear. Oh, I'm not going to have enough. Trust God with your finances. Some of you give way to a spirit of materialism and greed in our culture and think that, man, if I just have more stuff, that's going to make me feel better about myself. That doesn't work that way. Feel better about yourself because Jesus Christ loves you. Some of you have... Uh, have never been taught before about biblical giving. You've been taught now. Bring the first 10% or so to worship God as an act of surrender, as an act of trust, as an act of love, as an act of gratitude. And you will not regret it. You will not. Stand with me, please. So I'm going to ask you to start off by responding. Just ask the Lord, what's he saying to you now about this? Just ask him and be quiet. Lord, thank you for the privilege of giving back to you as an expression of love. Here where we worship, it is our great privilege. Thank you, Lord God. You've given so much to us. 
Friend, if you're in the room, you've never been clear on the gospel as believing in the Lord Jesus. Just right now, put your faith in Him. Put your trust in Him. Jesus, save me. And He'll do it. He'll do it. Lord, we love you. And we want to love you more. In Christ's name, amen.